0: This is an ICGC Cornerstone podcast. At Cornerstone, we believe in the power of the Word of God to transform lives and empower people to influence their generation. And now, time for the message. The title of my message today is the Triumphant Entry the triumphant entry and today when we think about god we think about jesus and all that he has done for us um it's a very important moment in our lives as i said earlier um this week is commemorates the holy week um and on friday we'll be gathering here um for easter friday service at 7 p.m i want to encourage you to make sure you come don't come alone. come on time Um, It's going to be an amazing time in God's presence as well. And then we have our Easter Sunday service um, as well. And then on Easter Monday, it's uh, it's all fun and games, right? Uh, And chilling as well. So it's going to be a great week um, as well. All right. Please tell me to Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 to 15. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 to 15. Quite a long scripture, but um, we'll go through it as quick as we can. Matthew 21. I want to encourage you uh, to make sure you write, take note. Um, you will not remember everything I have said today. You, I know you have a good memory, but you will remember. Uh, so Matthew 21, verses 1 to 15. And we are going to read a, an account of Palm Sunday from Matthew's gospel. Now all the four gospels in the Bible write about this particular event, but there is some information that Matthew provides that I believe would be a blessing um, to us Um, As well. So Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 to 15. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent the disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with hair. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying tell the daughter of zion behold your king is coming lowly and sitting on a donkey a colt, the foal of a donkey verse 6 so the disciples went and did as jesus commanded them they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the, cl- on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10. And when he had come into Jerusalem and all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Of Galilee, Then Jesus went into the temple of, of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did... And the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. A very interesting passage of scripture. We are introduced to aspects of Jesus' life. And we see his ministry, we see his outlook, and we see how he approached things. And there are four important pictures of Christ that the scripture paints for us that we are going to run through within the time that we have. The first picture of Christ I want you to see, number one, is that he's a methodical master. Jesus is a methodical master. We see Jesus as a methodical person, as a person who does not take things for granted, as a person who is interested in details, the details of life. He's a well-organized person. He's a master of method and a master of planning. And he's about to go to Jerusalem, and you see the process by which he takes to get Jerusalem, And when we describe him as a methodical master, what do we mean? We mean four things. Number one, he arranged for resources ahead of time. Although Jesus Christ is the Lord of all, although he knows all things, he's a miracle worker. But at this point in time, Jesus does not work a miracle. In this particular situation, he shows us the importance of planning and of thinking ahead. Jesus had gone ahead to arrange for donkeys. That would take him into Jerusalem. And and he knows that he's going to go to Jerusalem and there's going to be the triumphant entry. But he prepares for that entry. He doesn't wait for the last minute to do what he has to do. Jesus is prepared. He prepares ahead of time because he knows what is going to happen. And many times people want to do things. And they never get them done. Sometimes because we don't learn to plan ahead of time. Many times we do things last minute, hoping and praying that it will go well. But you must understand that Jesus could have worked a miracle in this particular passage. But he did not work a miracle. He prepared ahead of time. He says, "Go when you go to Jerusalem, you, when you go to the city of Bethphage, sorry, you will see a, a donkey and a colt tied down. He had prepared ahead of time the instrument that would take him into Jerusalem. He knew ahead of time. And I hope you would also prepare ahead of time for everything that you plan to do in life. That when you are going on an assignment in life, that you have to learn to work ahead of time. Jesus is the methodical master. He prepares ahead of time. Also, as a methodical master, he knew where to find what he was looking for. He didn't just plan ahead of time. He knew where to find it. Very interesting. He tells the disciples that when you go to the village opposite you, On the by the roadside, you will find a donkey and a coat that is tied together. He knew where to find what he was looking for. And he says, When you find them, lose them and bring them to me as well. And many times when when we don't know what we're looking for, a lot of things are frustrated in life. So you find somebody who is planning to who is going for a job interview and cannot find their certificate. They can't find it. They don't know where it is. It's like some cloth somewhere. It's hidden somewhere. In some bags of, of clothes somewhere. But Jesus knows where to find what he's looking for. Contrary to the opinion that you should never plan. You see Jesus planning here. Contrary to the idea that Christians should just, we should just throw our hands in the air and hope that things will happen. You see Jesus planning. And we must ensure that... That we don't just do what we do haphazardly, we do what we do with a plan. You must have a plan. You must have a plan. When I ask you what are your plans, you must be able to rattle your plans. What are your plans? Oh, we will see what the Lord will do. No, no, no. The Lord has already done it. He's just waiting for you. We are not we are not seeing anything. The Lord has already done it. Not, not that we will see, no, no, no. We can we have two eyes. We can see. What are your plans? Jesus is a methodical master. He knows where to find what he's looking for. He knows specifically the place that they should go and get what they are looking for. The question I want to ask you this morning, is that your example? Do you know where to find what you are looking for? Do you know, going for an interview, are your letters ready? Are your certificates ready? I haven't even ironed your shirt for the interview. And I was saying in the first service, no. You know, many times, you know, we, we don't we don't. Christians. You, know, you, 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 you converse with Christians and you don't prepare. A, a, a Christian even starts a business and he doesn't have a business plan. And he said, I'm going by faith. The Lord shall give me this mountain. Almost, plan. Get your business plan down. You must know what you're doing. Don't just get up and say this. Don't just throw in um, Christian cliches to cover your your inadequacies. Get a plan. Is that your plan? You have to ask yourself. You have ironed your shirt for the interview. And and then you've been praying for this interview night has come a day before the interview. You've never ironed your shirt. Then on Sunday, you find doomsaw. Sunday evening, there's doomsaw. And now you are binding and casting, God. You are the light that shines in darkness. Let your light pass through the electric poles and come to my house. No, don't don't use your prayer for that one. No, it, we don't need prayer for the light to come on. We just need we don't need prayer. You know the system we live in. You have to learn to prepare. You see Jesus. He knew where to find what he's looking for. As a methodical master, Jesus had a response. Number number three, he had a response. For those who oppose his efforts, Jesus had made prior arrangements. He's assured that he will get the donkeys. But the very interesting thing about Jesus is that he had a response for those who oppose it. He says that when you get there, right, and you are about to uh, get when, when get a go get there, lose the donkey and the coat and bring it to me. And then he says, but if they ask you, who has need of it? Tell them the master has need of it. So Jesus knew the result is expecting, but yet he had a plan. That in case there's opposition, tell them the master has need of them. Because in life, my friends, you must have what we call a contingency plan. Now sometimes you plan and you may not be able to grow, but you must have a contingency plan you can draw from. So Jesus said, I have made arrangements. I have prepared for the donkeys. I know where they are, but in case you run into a position, this should be your response. And many times people make great plans, but then things happen. The plans are disrupted. And when your plans are, are disrupted, people have no alternative. They have no alternative. They have no plan B. They say, oh, I'm just going with everything. There is no alternative. And if you've lived in this world for a while, my friends, you will know that sometimes your plans don't go the way you want them to go. It is called what? Life. Your plans will not go the way you expect them to go. But you must always have a plan B. You know, maybe you want to go and start a business. And then somebody comes and they promise you, oh, I will give you 50,000 CDs for that business. And your uncle has promised you you are banking all that for the business. And then you go one week to the business, and he tells you, so "My my my daughter needs to have a surgery." And I spent I have to spend that money on my daughter. Or oh, you want my child to die? Do you want my child to die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know you have to, you know, yeah. And you have to think, what 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 is my plan? What is my plan B? What's going to be my plan B? Or you're going to go to the bank for some loan for, for your business? And and, the, and two weeks in time the bank's the bank's policy has changed. About loan, what do you do? You have to have a plan B. You've got to have a plan B, my friends. You have to have a contingency plan. Contingency plan. And some of you, for all the money you have, it's just all that is in that account. You don't have any investments. You don't have any plan B. That if you run dry, you are are dry. No, you have to have a contingency plan. Don't just spend everything you make right or oh, throw correct yeah you, you have to have a contingency plan don't just it, spend everything you have some money today and you blow all the cash you don't have a contingency plan for the next 10 years you see yogurt you buy you see gum you buy you see pie you buy you see chewing stick or something you buy you, i don't know you see something you buy why, why don't do that don't do that have a contingency plan all right Very important, Jesus shows us an example of a methodical master. And as a methodical master, number four, he carefully chose his actions in line with prophecy. The Bible says that all this was done that it may be fulfilled. Look at the prophecy. The prophecy says, behold, your king shall come riding on a donkey. The coat of a donkey. Jesus is aware of the prophecy that has gone ahead of him. And he makes arrangements. To suit the actions of the prophecy, God gives you a prophetic word, but you have to make arrangements. Right? Many times we receive a prophetic word and we sit down with us and just say, Oh, the word is going to happen. God's word has come. I will just sit down. Oh, the word of the Lord is that you shall be promoted in your company. You receive that word of God and then you, you go to the office late all the time. If I was your boss, no matter the prophetic word, I won't promote you. It will not happen. Maybe, it's, maybe, the, the, maybe the person you work for will promote but me, Harry adote will not promote you. It's not going to happen. It will not happen. So if you said that prophetic word, you have to run with that word. Jesus carefully chose his actions in line with prophecy. What you have to ask yourself the actions I'm taking today, are they methodical? Do you know what you want to achieve? Do you know the plans that you want to achieve? Do you have clear goals and expectations? that was the example of jesus he knew exactly what he was looking for he was a methodical master very important it has been said my friends and i'm sure you are aware of it that if you fail to plan you plan to fail if you don't have plan if you don't plan adequately you'll be greeted with so many uncertainties if you don't prepare ahead of time opportunity will come and it will pass you by opportunity is when preparation meets access that is what we call opportunity. So what are your clear goals? What are your plans? You have to have them, my friends. It is important to be pre- prepare ahead of time. Know where things are. Prepare for eventualities. Be, be careful that everything f- falls in line with a larger mission and goal. Don't just do things. and Don't just follow the crowd. You want to be distinct in life? Sometimes you'll be the only one on the journey. Yeah, you make decisions and you are the only one. Nobody's behind you, nobody follows you. Nobody sees what you see, but you see what you see. And you are methodical, you are intentional. You see that the whole crowd is going this way, but you've chosen to go this way. It can't be a lonely journey, my friends. But it is called being methodical, being intentional, not doing things haphazardly. You have to be very methodical. That what you do, that every action you are taking today is lining up to a larger picture in life. Why must you not receive bribe in your office? Why, why must you not steal? Why must you not? Why must you stay faithful to your spouse alone? Why must you not chase other young ladies all over the place? Why must you? Because of where you are going, to my friends, your integrity is what will keep you at the top. Because if you don't have integrity, you've lost everything. I don't care how talented, how gifted you are, you will fall very flat quickly. Where are you going to in life? Are the decisions you are making today lining up with a larger picture? It's a question you have to ask yourself. And Jesus, being methodical, prepares, plans towards where he wants to get to. And I was saying in the first service, and I was telling the, the, the single people, that if you're not married, be methodical. Prepare. Because after knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior, the second greatest decision you will ever make is the person you marry. And I like how the room is quiet. It is the person you marry. This is coming from the bottom of my heart. If you marry the wrong person, you will be screwed for life. I'm telling you. If you you just follow body shapes, or you follow Money. Oh, he's rich. You throw away character. You throw away vision. You just look at his pocket, and that is all you are thinking about today. You, will, you'll be driving a Range Rover, and you'll be sweating inside. I don't know whether you've been there before. You'll be in a big. You'll be sweating <laughs> because there was something called joy and peace and peace of mind that money cannot buy, that beauty and body cannot provide. I'm telling you, 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 you will regret life. We count so many married couples, so I know. Fantastic wedding. $200,000 wedding. And two weeks later, they are divorcing. be methodical. Where do you want to go to? I was saying I, I was a time ago that, I mean, if I was going to get married to somebody, I mean, I'll find a person. Where, where will I find a person? It has to be, like, I won't find the best in the club because I won't be there. What, what am I doing at the club? He <laughs> you know, where will I, I find the person in the house of the Lord? You know, I'll find the person nice Christians. I'm not finding, I don't care how you look, I don't care what your shape is. Heaven and earth will pass away, including shape and money. But it is the word that will remain the same. You have to be methodical. Where are you going to? Where are you going to? It is children who, who do things for today. Adults do things for tomorrow. They don't do things for today. They don't look at today. Children see it, they see toffee and they, I want the toffee now. They don't care whether it will give them a toothache. Whether they don't care. I want the toffee now. I feel it and I want it. But adults don't think that way. Adults say, I've had the toffee yesterday. I can't have the toffee today. I keep my. I'll, I'll pace myself and have it again. That is what we call adulthood and adulting. Right, He's a methodical master. Number two, Jesus is a meek servant. Jesus is a meek servant. Not only is he a methodical master, but Jesus is meek. He's not proud. He's not arrogant. He's not boastful. He's meek. He's not loud. Jesus is humble. And on his trip to Jerusalem, he shows us his humility. How does he show us his humility? Number one, he submitted his will to God's higher purpose. Jesus is aware. Of what stands before him in Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows death is waiting for him in Jerusalem. He's aware of it. And yet, he submits his will to God's higher purpose. Beyond the death and the crucifixion, he sees a higher purpose. And many times we call ourselves Christians. But we sometimes we struggle to submit our will to God's higher purpose. When people have offended us. And God says, "Forgive them." We find it difficult to forgive. We want to pay them back. You want to reward them back. But Jesus submits His will to a higher purpose. You and I have not been crucified before. How many of you have been crucified before? You, yeah. Jesus was crucified. Somebody only stabbed you in the back, but you are alive. They stabbed you in the back, but you are alive. You are alive. You must understand. They stabbed you, but you are still here. You are still living. Everybody gets stabbed in the back. But when God says, we should forgive, we must forgive. When God says, treat people well, we must treat them well. Because when we didn't treat him well, he treated us well. The Bible says, while well, we're yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He set the example so that we can live the example as well. The Jesus says, Lord, not my will, but your will. I see the cross before me, but I'm going to go to it. He embraced the will of God. Because my friends, sometimes serving God is very painful. It's not a rosy journey, my friends. Serving God sometimes can be very painful. Serving God means that sometimes people are going to hate you. People are going to judge you and they will judge you wrongly. Sometimes people are going to try to assassinate your character. The Christian life is full of challenges, my friends. They are difficult moments. There are difficult moments. It's Christianity. Let's throw away this Christianity of when you come to Jesus and there is no problem anymore. No. There are challenges in life, my friends. People will let you down. Those you trust, they will let you down. But we must always submit our will to the will of Jesus. Jesus is a mixed servant. He shows us. He chose to reveal His presence without arrogance. Without arrogance. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to introduce himself. This is before he dies. This is the last biggest public outing that Jesus has to go. And many times when some people are preaching, they say things like, oh, you know, Jesus went to Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, and it is like today you are, going to, you are going to preach with a private jet. I beg to differ. It's not true. In the days of Jesus Christ, if he was going to announce himself, he would, he would rather have gone with a horse and not a donkey. He would have gone with, he would have probably picked 12 stallions, black, and then with a nice golden chariot tied to the stallion. Then Peter would prepare the trumpets. And then he'd I said that is a triumphant entry. That, that's not look triumphant, riding like a romance. But he went with a donkey. A horse in the days of Jesus Christ was like having a private jet or having like a Mercedes Benz. I was saying SL 200 or like a DA 9 uh, or like a what a Benz Maybach, right? That, that that would be like a horse, you know. But Jesus went with a donkey. Donkey was like a tico. A tico. It was the poor man's means of transportation. He went to the tico. He chose to announce himself with a tico. Very interesting. And now know, that, 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 that does not mean that you, when you have a nice car, don't drive it. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying that. I mean, God will bless you with nice cars. Yeah. Because tico, Charlie, we don't want tico. <laughs> That's for Jesus' ministry. But God will bless you with a nice car. He will bless you with things. But when he blesses you with things, don't become arrogant. You must not forget that you are not your things. You are not the car, you are not the house, you are not the mansion. You are not all that, you are not the clothes you wear. That's not, that, that doesn't define who you are. And Jesus goes to Jerusalem on a donkey, but he knows he's still the king of kings. He knows he's still the Messiah. Riding on a donkey does not change his status. He knows who he is, and he's okay with who he is. And many times we pay attention on what we wear, what we have. But the Bible says that that, that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Very important, my friends. Humility is part of the Christian calling. Even if God has raised you very high and has blessed you, you must be conscious to be humble and not arrogant. Jesus also, number three, accepted public praise with humility. He accepted public praise. With humility. The Bible says they put palm branches on the floor. Put clothes on the floor. Put clothes on the horse. uh, On on the donkey. And and put it on the animal. And and, and array the animal. Very interesting. I asked the question in the first episode. Have you ever had people sing your praises before? Has it ever happened to you? They sing your praises. If you've never had people sing your praises before. You will never know how tough it is. When people speak well of you. And I gave an illustration in the first service. And I was saying that, you know, singing your praises is like, the praises is like a, a pump. Hmm? It's a pump. I, 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 I was saying I had a flat tire. It was about two weeks ago. And so I parked my car by the organizer and I asked him to pump my tire. And, you know, it, it was pumping the tire, pumping the tire, you know, and they have this uh, gauge that is tied to the pump to measure, to ensure that the air pressure is what is appropriate for the tire. And and, 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 the world, and, and in, in our world, we know when to pull the brakes on, on, on praise. But when people are praising, it's like, pump. And they don't know when to stop pumping it. And they will pump the pra- Pump, 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 pump. Until the tire bursts. Poof. They pump your head out until your head becomes bigger than your body, like Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> and when your head is bigger than your body, you fall down. You'll you, you, you break into pieces, I'm telling you. Praises. And they're pumping Praises. And Jesus knew how to handle praise. Anybody who has ever been successful in any area, in your job, whatever you are doing, people are going to praise you, my friends. And it's not wrong for them to praise you. But when they praise you, you have to learn how to be humble about the praise. When they praise you, don't go and say, ah, are you now noticing? Charlie, I've been bowling since oh, I've been bowling. What are you talking about? Are you now noticing me? Hey, where have you been in this Ghana, you don't know me. Ah, I've been boring. Humility does not reject praise. Humility accepts praise, but it also makes you also accepts your limitation as well. You know that, yes, it happened, but I also know my limitations. And Jesus was perfect. He accepted it with humility. And I can imagine, I mean, people place, I mean, all these shouts going on. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, I know people who call themselves humble. And the reason they are humble is because they are not great. The reason they are humble is because they are poor. When a poor man tells me that he is humble or she is humble, I, I will not believe you. Because I have been there. When you are poor, by default, you will be poor. You, you, you will be humble. Your nature is to be humble. You can't be proud. <laughs> when you are poor, your nature, you have to be humble. Ah, where is the pride there? No, you can't be humble. You can only tell humility when the person has an option. You can only tell when you have an option. Like Jesus, you have an option to go differently by saying, I will go this way. That is when you can tell that somebody is humble. And Muhammad Ali, at the height of his boxing career, you know, when he's, when he's about to fight his opponents, he's, he's, he's giving them a lot of, you know, cause uh, and he saying, you know, you are beat, you are the first round, and you are beat you by the second round, and you, because the first round I'll beat you, and I'll float like a butterfly, I'll sing like a bee, he's saying all these nice words, and, and, so, and so somebody asked him, no, you know, you are too arrogant, you are. Compl- why are you doing this? And Ali said something very interesting, he says that, it is so difficult to be humble when you are great, and there is a lot of truth to that. It is difficult to be humble when you are great. When you are really good at what you can do, it is difficult to be humble. But that is when humility must come in, my friends, because humility is not for those who are down; it's for those who are up. It's not for those who are falling; for those who are rising, my friends. And you can easily flaunt your success, but humility is when you choose to be quiet and to be humble about it, my friends. And Jesus could have done so; could have flaunted what he wanted to do, but he remained humble. And then you go to you go you going to meetings, and somebody will look at you and look at the person, you know, and the person will look at you again and say, and you look at the person. The person say, Don't you know me? How should I know you?" <laughs> the person do you know? how should I know you? Even Jesus Christ cannot. Everybody knows him. How should I know you? You you know me?' Or you you know who I am?'" Like, who are you? Who are you? We have to learn to be humble. And we see, number four, that Jesus returned all praises to the Father. You can't stop people from expressing their admiration of you. You can't stop them. You can't stop people from appreciating you and praising you. You, you, you can't stop that. But when they do it, quietly return the praise back to God. When people tell me, as oh, pastor, you ministered well, you blessed God. I mean, you spoke very well. I have to quietly in my heart say, God, I thank you for the wisdom. I thank you for the grace. Thank you for using me this way. I have to in my heart quietly return that praise back to God. Thank you for giving me the knowledge and the, and the, and the wisdom. But, Lord, you deserve all the glory. Because many times, you know, when, when, when we say, you know, people feel like, oh, okay, when, when people say you did well. Then you say, oh, then you say, oh, no, oh, no, it's not me. I didn't do anything. Who, then who did it? Wasn't it you who did it? What, what, what are you saying? It is you. What do you mean it's not you? I'm nothing. It's not me. What do you mean it's not you? You did it. You did it. Who did it? You wrote a report. Who wrote a report? Was that an angel who came to write the report? It was you. So the praise will be directed towards you. When they direct towards you, you also direct it. That's all. But ask for direction. You can't stop direction. It will come to you. And sometimes we all miss it. Sometimes I miss it. Sometimes the are moments it comes to mind that I feel like as if it is me. And I have to remind myself. And sometimes you will miss it. But you have to remind yourself he directed all the praise back to God. Learn to always in your heart give the praise back to where it is due. To God be all the glory. You may not say it with 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 your lips, but in your heart you must say it. I'm not saying that when they say this report is good and you repeat, they say, oh no. he say, oh no, let the praise, be. you hold the report, Father, I give you the praise. No, in your heart. Because sometimes you can say, you know, sometimes people will say things like, oh, it's not me, oh, it's nothing. But in their heart, they're saying, yeah, yeah. They are noticing me, yeah. It is more about your heart. <laughs> it's more about your heart. In your heart, send that praise back to God. Jesus is a meek servant. Number three, Jesus is a mighty Lord. Jesus is meek, but he's also mighty as well. And he approached that mission with with a cry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We learned a few things about Jesus being a mighty As a mighty Lord, he approached what he did, not in his own name, but in the name of the Lord. That is the secret to success, my friends. You must always learn to move and act in the name of the Lord, not in our name. Jesus approached his mission with that consciousness. that even when you are expecting what you do, Even when you know what to do and you've been doing it over and over again and you have that experience, even don't just boast about what you are able to do naturally by yourself. Always talk to God. Always go in his name. I want to encourage you, if you work in an office, you work somewhere, and you're an expert and you've been doing it over and over again and you're given a job, always go to God and still ask him in your heart. Father, give me the wisdom. Give me the knowledge to execute this task that you've given to me. I'm coming to you in your name, Lord Jesus. Help me to do it as well. In your heart, let the Lord know. Give me the knowledge. Very important. Because when we rely, or when we learn to always rely on God for the things we do, we receive constant strength beyond ourselves that will help us to accomplish our objectives as well. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not in my own name, but in the name of the Lord. Approach your assignments. Approach your mission in the name of the Lord. Jesus, as, as mighty Lord number two, boldly stood against society's wrong practices. Jesus did not hide his light, he confronted the sins and the evil of his day as well. He confronted it. The Bible said he went to the house of a God of God and he he drove everything out. And, and, and what was happening in the days of Jesus was that in the temple, what, what happened was that you know. Normally, you have to bring the, 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 an animal to sacrifice, probably a dove, um, a, a sheep, a um, goat, a bull. You know, they bring all these animals to, to, to be sacrificed to, to the Lord. And, and so, um, when, when they bring the animals to the temple, there's a part of a temple called the Outer Court, right? And that's where most of the, most of the animals are, are placed and are to, be brought, to be slaughtered. And so, what happens, like it happens in Ghana today... Uh, is that you know the chief priest uh, will now will, will either have a sheep business at the outer court or will partner with some business partners to have to have some sheep uh, business at the outer court and so when you bring your sheep to the outer court right uh, and to be sacrificed the, the chief priest will examine the sheep and say ah, this sheep it's not it's not worthy for the lord go to the outer court and buy Sheep there. That is where, that one God will accept. Like you know, in Ghana, you go to some hospital and they say, oh, the drug is on, you go across the streets to this pharmacy, and they know the, they know the pharmacy, oh. to this particular pharmacy, that is where, and it's a hospital like that in Ghana, which we all know. I won't mention the name, uh, which you do that there. <laughs> and, so, and so that's what they were doing in, 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 the, in the temple. And so, and so they were denying a lot of people and they were causing trouble because people bring the animals to be sacrificed, and the chief priests with his Kabbalah making money from the outer court. And so Jesus goes there and he begins to scatter everything. Scatters everything. Stands boldly for what is wrong. Even when it's done in the house of God, it is wrong. If it is wrong, it is wrong. Even when it's done in the name of God, if it is wrong, it's wrong. We must not use the name of God to do evil. Even if it is wrong, it is wrong. have to be very careful. For those of us who want to grow in Christian leadership and in ministry, don't do things wrong in the name of God. See, a young lady say, come to my office for counseling. Come over. Come over. The Holy Spirit says I should embrace you. The Holy Spirit says I should minister to you here. You have to be very careful. The things that we do in the name of the Lord, you have to be very careful what we do. That's another pr- message all together. And Jesus, does all these things. He stands for righteousness. And I was saying, can you imagine if nobody in Ghana accepts bribe? Can you imagine? Ghana loses $3 billion every year to corruption. And yet, we went to IMF for $3 billion. So if we decide not to be corrupt for one year, we have the money from the IMF, right? Without going to IMF and tightening our belts. And adding more taxes. We would have gotten that 3 billion without anything. But no. But if you and I, it starts with you and I. Standing for what is right. When you stand for what is right, you strengthen somebody else's conviction. To also stand for what is right. Ye- yesterday I was saying, I, I, was, I, was, I was on a flight coming back to a, to Accra. And, and you know, on that flight... I remember, you know, they were trying to give us some special treatment on the flight, and, and you know, then they brought champagne. Said, oh, we brought champagne. And I said, I don't drink champagne. What is that? So, it was just a little aqua. I, I don't drink it. And the woman was shocked. I said, young man like you, pa, hey, fine boy like you, don't drink champagne. I said, no. Yes. Thank God I'm fine, but I don't drink champagne. <laughs> I said, I don't drink champagne. I don't drink champagne. What is What is that? I said, what I bring me ginger ale. I want ginger ale. I don't want champagne. Bring me. And she was shocked. And she, and she was surprised. She, she was saying, oh, thank you for coming. She said, oh, thank you for, for that choice. And I said, oh, really? I looked at her like this, and I was going. I said, it shouldn't be a surprise. Why should it be a surprise that a Christian doesn't drink alcohol? Why should it be a surprise? Why should it be a surprise? Now it's like a shock in our, in our generation. But why should it be a shock? You have to stand for what is right. Why should it be a shock? Last time I, le- I listened to a, a, a lady who was talking and said that, you know, and this is a, a, a gospel artist saying things like, oh, you must expect in marriage that your that your husband will cheat on you. I said, Me, if I was a woman and you try that, you will lose a part of your body. <laughs> yeah, why should it be why should it be a shock? Why should why why should fidelity in marriage be an exception? Why? Why should it be an exception? To be faithful in your mind, why why you why should we be clapping for it? It's normal. It should be normal. We must stand for what is right. And Jesus boldly stands for what is right. He was bold to stand for righteousness. He stood for what is right. Do you stand for what is right in your office? Your workplace, do you stand for what is right? And he restored righteousness to the house of God. That was his passion. He was determined to manifest the presence of God. Whatever we do, my friends... Let us everything we do in the name of God it must be pure and holy it must it must honor God everything that we do must honor God Jesus we see is a mighty Lord and number four Jesus we see is a merciful savior and after he had cleansed the temple of all the wrongs the Bible says that he ministered to all those who came to him in the temple. The, the, the lame, the blind, and they came to him and he ministered to them. As a merciful Savior, he has the power to save us from sin. When he was born, the angel announced that he will save his people from sin. He has the power to save us from sin. Even the, even the person who is the, is the baddest of sinners, he has the power to save everyone. And today, if you need him as a Savior, he's able to come into your life, become your Lord and merciful Savior. He has the power to save us from sin. Number two, he has he heals those who are diseased. He, his power to heal is real. He's able to heal us and heal our, take away our, our affliction, our infirmities. When we call on his name, he has the power to heal us and to make our bodies well again. He is a merciful savior. Number three, he restores hope to those who are neglected. If you read a passage, the Bible says the blind and the lame came to Jesus Christ. The blind and the lame came to him. They didn't have any opportunity anywhere, but they came to Jesus Christ and he restored them again. If you are neglected, abandoned, have lost a sense of hope, Jesus is able to restore life to you again. And number four, he welcomes all who come to him. He welcomes all who come to him. No matter who you are, where you are, his arms are wide open to welcome you. No matter where you have been, what you have done, he's always available to welcome you home. The Bible says the woman who was caught in adultery was brought before him and he says that neither do I condemn you. He says go and sin no more. His arms are wide open. Does it mean that everything I've done in my past can be washed away? Yes. Yes. That is the power of the blood of Jesus, my friends. Maybe you feel your sin is so bad that there is no way for you to be free from sin. Jesus is the savior of who washes us from our sin. And I don't know what you are dealing with, but we have Jesus as our merciful Savior. He's ready to receive you. He's ready to change your life. He's ready to turn your story around. He's ready to make you a brand new person. The Bible says that if your sin be as red as scarlet, it can become as white as snow. That is the Jesus that we serve as well. (music) Thank you for listening to the message. God bless you.